We're super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. They're more than meets the eye, but also therefore the athletes. Do you run? Do you golf? Do you train? You want to look like your favorite athlete? Guys like Lamar Jackson, Debo Samuel, Aaron Jones, the backbone of my dynasty team, Justin Jefferson. Well, then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today personally i love the holbrook sunglasses just a very classic look and comfortable fit for wearing around town every single day and Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do. So head over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday sunglasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane or on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Lots to talk about today. Need to dig into the Lakers roster build a little bit. We're going to talk about the search for a big man with that 14th and most likely final roster spot. Yes, technically they have 15, but we know they're probably going to stop when they use that 14th roster spot. And then we need to preview tonight's game. That's right. The Lakers play tonight, taking on the San Antonio Spurs. No, Victor Wembenyama will not play, but taking on the San Antonio Spurs in summer league action at the California Classic, 5 o'clock Pacific time. Want to break down what we should be looking for in that one before we get to all of that i want to thank everybody who has subscribed to this channel recently we've had a big influx of subscribers which does tend to happen this time of year when we're in free agency we're in trade season we're talking about the draft but if you haven't done so yet make sure you do subscribe turn on those notifications and of course get involved in the comment section down below a lot of great stuff going on down there a lot of people talking debating, discussing Lakers basketball. Now, if you're listening over on the podcast side, sure would appreciate a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Great way to help the show as well. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk some Lakers basketball. As I'm recording this, it is July 4th. We finished celebrating, watching fireworks and all that sort of stuff. But most of you are going to be listening to this on July 5th. So let me just say, I hope you all had a very happy and safe 4th of July um, the, the, the initial topic that I need to get into here, how good of a job did the front office really do, right? There's a lot of questions that have been flying around recently about whether or not the Lakers really improved. You know, Tim Bontemps on ESPN was questioning, did the Lakers really get that much better? And when I look at this roster, I think I can understand why you might look at it and say, well, is this team suddenly the championship favorite? Is this team the championship favorite to come out of the West? No, I I wouldn't say that. I don't know what the betting odds look like at at this moment. In terms of who's the favorite, I'd have to imagine it's the Denver Nuggets. I don't think the Lakers did anything that makes you say, oh my gosh, that, what, they got that guy, that? Forget it, that puts them over the top. This team's going all the way. But you know what? That's okay. We've had seasons in the past. We've seen summers where you look at the Lakers team and you go, oh my God, this team's going all the way. And it doesn't happen. The infamous example 
Steve Nash, Dwight Howard. Now this is going to be fun. Yikes. That didn't work out so well, did it? Winning the offseason. And by the way, I think the Lakers did a very good job this offseason. They've gotten a lot of credit for it. But winning the offseason doesn't mean you're winning a championship. Doesn't mean that you're getting to where you want to go. Even though you do want to focus in on making the right moves. And I think that's the key here. Is did the Lakers make the right moves? Did they make the right moves in context of what was available? That's what has to be understood here. I've had people reached out telling me, well, you know, did the Lakers really do all that much? Did they make enough big moves here? Bradley Beal went to the Suns for free. The Clippers are probably going to get James Harden for free. They're not going to have to give up much to get him. What are the Lakers doing? Why aren't the Lakers going and getting one of these kinds of deals? And I think the context of what the Lakers did has to be understood. I also have people saying, why didn't they get another big? Where's Brooke Lopez, right? Where's Nas Reed? Where's the other big that they really needed that they could play out there and push Anthony Davis to the fore? Again, the context has to be understood and it's what is actually available out there on the market. Look at it this way. If I am really, really craving a filet mignon, right? A phenomenal, well-cooked steak, that's what I really, really want. But the only restaurants in the area are McDonald's and Chipotle. And that's it. Those are the only options that I have. Well, you know what? I'm not going to get that filet that I'm craving, am I? But I can still do myself a favor and make the right choice and go to Chipotle because it's amazing. And I'd rather have that than McDonald's anyway. It's a higher quality, Right. So of the choices that are there, you can still make the right one. I think that's exactly what the Lakers did. You look at this team and you say, well, they maybe they need a talent boost in order to catch up to the Denver Nuggets. Maybe they need that big move in order to arise from this kind of jumble in the Western Conference. But that big move wasn't there. And so in lieu of that, you look at what the Lakers have done. I look at top to bottom, all the decisions that they made, and I say, there's a range here. In terms of the contracts they signed, there's a range that runs from it's a fair contract. When I look at Gabe Vincent, when I look at Rui Hachimura, I look at those deals and I say, yeah, that's a fair deal right there. That's 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 not like the Lakers got a steal necessarily with that contract, but that's a fair deal. The range is from a fair deal to, oh my gosh, what a bargain. Like when we look at Austin Reeves, getting him on the deal the Lakers did based on his production last year is an insane bargain, particularly that you're going to have him for at least three years now on this contract. He has a player option for the fourth year. So that's what I see. That's the floor for the Lakers' moves. It's, yeah, that was a fair move. There are no moves where they got they got mozgobbed, where we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, what are they doing? What are they thinking? That's a terrible contract. None of those are out there right now. The Lakers, I thought, made very, very smart decisions in the offseason within the context of what was actually available. And, you know, something that was communicated to me recently is, and something that has to be stressed, is that, this is coming from an NBA team, is that fans, we tend to look at what's going on around the NBA and we say, oh, well, we should have got that guy for that price. Right? We have this idea in our head that, especially for the Lakers, 
that the Lakers get to go pick from all of the players out there on the market, and then everybody else kind of picks after the Lakers. We get to just go and pick out whoever we want. And if a play, if player X signs with team Y, whatever value that player signed with that team for, well, that's what the Lakers could also get, if not better, which is simply not true. It's not. Um, what a player is willing to do with one team doesn't necessarily mean they're willing to do it for another because players care about role. Players care about fit, especially uh, as they get older. I mean, I've heard stories about players who want one price from one team and they want something way different from another. I'm talking about four times as much from one team and then they go sign for a veteran minimum with somebody else. I'm talking about players that happened with this offseason. So that matters too. It's not as simple as looking at it and saying, well, oh, the Lakers, hey, that guy is a steal on that contract. The Lakers should have got that. Why didn't the Lakers just offer that to them? Clearly, he would have been a Laker. No, the, the opportunity matters for a player. Lonnie Walker going to the Brooklyn Nets. I thought they got a bargain getting him for a veteran minimum. First of all, were the Lakers willing to offer him that contract? And if they were, did Lonnie look at the Lakers roster, look at Max Christie and say, yeah, this guy's kind of coming up. And I don't think the path, path is necessarily super clear to minutes in Brooklyn, but maybe he just felt like, you know what? Brooklyn has a little bit cleaner path to minutes and they didn't bench me for half a season like the Lakers did this last season. So I'm going to go to Brooklyn. If that's the case, the Lakers don't have an opportunity to keep Lonnie in that situation. And the same thing is true in free agency. We look and see, oh man, how did this team get that player? How did the Suns get Eric Gordon for the veteran minimum? Well, maybe he looked at the Suns and thought, you know what? This team doesn't have a lot of depth. I know they just signed a bunch of players, but there's no way that I'm not like the fifth best player right now walking into this team. Is that going to be true of the Lakers or a lot of other teams? Maybe not. So I think that's important to understand as well, is that the opportunities that are there for one team are not there for everyone. So again, when we're looking at this and we say, oh, well, they should have just got this guy for this price, that may not have been available to them and something that we have to keep in mind. But still, that leads me back to this point in terms of context. What is it that you would have done differently if you're the Lakers? What should they have done differently? And I think that's why... I'm overall pretty satisfied with this offseason. When I look at the options and I say, what would I have rather seen them do? I don't think there's many guys that went for prices the Lakers could have afforded that I thought I'd prefer over what they actually did. For example, it would be great if the Lakers got Brooke Lopez. They couldn't afford him. Nowhere close. He went back to Milwaukee for double what the Lakers could give him. They weren't going to be able to afford him. It was simple as that. Bruce Brown, he got paid by Indiana way more than what the Lakers could offer. He's almost, I know his second year is not guaranteed or it's a team option, but still, that even in the first year, he's getting almost double what the Lakers could offer for, for one year. He's getting in one year almost what a two-year deal from the Lakers would look like. So I don't fault the Lakers on that one. So when I look around and I say, gosh, who, who else could they have gotten? Who could they have gotten in place of Gabe Vincent? People say, oh, well, they should have got Brooke Lopez. With what money? How are you getting him? If you look at what the Lakers worked with, I thought they did a pretty nice job. And I think maybe you could argue, okay, Dante DiVincenzo could have been a better fit. And I think you can make that argument. Dante DiVincenzo over Gabe Vincent. Then that's fine. That's fine. I think you can make that argument, but it's close enough 
where I'm not going to be upset over it. I look at people see Mason Plumley goes back to the Clippers on a $5 million deal. Well, the Lakers couldn't offer him that deal, right? And people get frustrated by that, especially if you're not super into the cap. You don't have a great understanding. Look, it's very complicated, right? I understand why some people don't dig as deep into the cap as others do, but people from the outside will get really frustrated by this and say, wait, why do, why do these other teams have money to spend and the Lakers don't? It's not as simple as that. There's a lot of intricacies in the cap. And simply put, because he was the Clippers' own free agent, they were able to offer Mason Plumley more. So when we're looking at this situation, I think we have to remember that given the context, in terms of who else was out there that you would have rather have seen them get, I think they did really, really damn well. I mean, look, their goals were, right, bring back Rui Hachimura, bring back D'Angelo Russell, bring back Austin Reeves. You wanted to accomplish those three things. They, Rob Polinka talked about it. Wanted to bring back his young core. Done. Did it. Got it done. And then the Dennis Schroeder situation. One of the things that gets overlooked with Gabe Vincent to Dennis Schroeder, and I've had people making the argument that Dennis Schroeder turning him into Gabe Vincent, essentially, that's a lateral move. I disagree. I think there is a bit of improvement there, but I understand. I think, and I am one of the bigger Dennis fans from last season. I felt like I was defending him more often, not to say that I consider myself a Dennis Schroeder fan or anything per se, but just relative to other Lakers fans, I was higher on Dennis Schroeder than a lot of people were. But, and I think he made a big impact on the team. I thought his uh, contributions, especially in fourth quarters, were really important. I thought what he did defensively was really important for this team. But nonetheless, I look at what the Lakers did and I think, yeah, that's the decision that was the right one to make. It was the right one to make. You look at what Toronto gave Dennis Schroeder, a deal starting at $13 million. This is a guy who infamously turned down a four-year $84 million deal. Infamously. That's still got to be hurting. He's got to be thinking, I need to get back every penny of that that I can. Technically, the Lakers couldn't even get there. They could offer him $12.4 million. That was the most they could offer. But I think there's something that we miss, too. Even if, and I don't agree with this, I think Gabe Vincent is an upgrade over Dennis Schroeder. It's close. But even if you're a person that says, this is a lateral move, I'm not that high on Gabe Vincent, he had one good playoff series, whatever it is, whatever argument you want to make. Even if you're looking at it as a lateral move, even if you look at it and say, no, it's close, but I give the edge to Dennis, keep this in mind. Even if the Lakers should offer him that $12.4 million to Dennis Schroeder, that's not enough. Toronto offered more. Now, maybe, maybe Dennis would have said, yeah, but I want it. the extra $600,000 or something. It's not enough. I want to stay in LA. Okay, maybe. But keep in mind, the Lakers did not give Gabe Vincent $12.4 million. They didn't give him the full mid-level exception. They gave him less than that. In fact, they gave him enough left, less that they're going to have about $1.9 million of their MLE left over. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to go sign somebody with it. No, not at all. That's not enough. You'd, In almost every situation, you'd rather just have the veteran minimum to go use, which they do. So they're going to use the veteran minimum. They're not going to use this leftover MLE, and you can't combine it with the veteran minimum to create a bigger offer or anything like that. So why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because of the buyout market. This is where it could be critical. If you're the Lakers, 
and you're looking at the market right now and you say, you know what? This is a super thin free agent class. Let's try to give ourselves an advantage in March when the bio market hits. Because we could find ourselves in a spot where, man, we really need a big, or man, we really need a shooter. We really need X, Y, or Z. And that particular skill set happens to get waived and bought out and put out on the market. If the Lakers use their entire MLE, what they will have to offer a player at that point would be the prorated version of the veteran veterans minimum. They would get an amount equivalent to what's left in the season. If there are 30% of games left in the season, they would get 30% of the veteran minimum. Okay, It's a prorated number. That's what the Lakers would be able to offer, just like every other team that used their full mid-level exception, didn't have cap space to spend. But now, because the Lakers have that $1.9 million that they didn't spend of the MLE, they'll get to use that to go chase players on the buyout market. Now, again, is this a huge... It's not like the Lakers have $10 million and everybody else has $1 million, but still, it's a difference. They're giving themselves a financial edge. And that, I think, is an aspect of the Lakers offseason that, again, it may not mean anything, but it goes to show how important the attention to detail was here, right? They have given themselves just enough wiggle room so that they've got a financial edge in March on the buyout market. So this team that they've put together, in the context of what's out there, of the moves that were possible, I think they made the correct moves. In addition to that, they've set themselves up for a future move should the opportunity to make one be there. Speaking of which, the opportunity to make a move. I still get a lot of frustration from fans saying, it's the Lakers. You have to make this move. You have to, they needed to do something. They needed to do something big. They need to add, this is LA, this is Hollywood. Where, where's the star player coming in? Where's that? I didn't see that move. We're going to pause for just a moment to talk about game time. Ticket buying can be a very stressful experience. Personally, I am always trying to make sure that I'm getting the best deal. And that's not always easy to know. You have to go fully through the checkout process. Sometimes one app will say one thing. Another app won't give you the final price until the end. It is a nightmare. But buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets and a best price guarantee. So you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you are going to have. Forget about planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So you suddenly find yourself with a little bit of time. You have some friends that want to go do something. Grab tickets on game time. Game time, the guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's how confident they are in their best price game time guarantee. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You even get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LakersNation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. And that's where, maybe it's just because it's 4th of July, 
uh, but I need to get a little historical here. Let's talk about the American Revolution. Specifically, let's talk about the Battle of Bunker Hill. The Battle of Bunker Hill was one of the first major skirmishes of the American Revolution, one of the first major battles, right? And look, the, the Patriot Army, they had the high ground on top of Bunker Hill and Breed's Hill. They've got the high ground. Right, The British are going to try to charge up the hill and go at them. And if you've watched Star Wars, you know how big of a deal having the high ground is. But the British looked at their opponent and said, this is a ragtag group of farmers up there on top of this hill. So we're going to charge at them. And there's a pretty decent chance that when they see the British army coming at them, they're going to turn and run away. Because those are like farmers up there. Those aren't real soldiers. Let's just go right up at them. And they did. It took three waves. The first wave gets shot down. Second wave gets shot down. Third wave breaks through, through, but only because the Patriot Army actually started running out of ammunition. To the point where they started loading their muskets with like glass and nails and any little thing that they could find to try to fire at the British. And finally, they, they had to retreat. In fact, have you ever heard the saying, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes? That's... This is the battle that it comes from. And so the point is that the British underestimated their opponent and tried to force something that wasn't there. They thought, you know what? We're the British. We can just, look, this isn't an ideal situation, but we don't need an ideal situation. We're the British. We're, we're a professional army. Our opponents are not. We're just going to charge up this hill at them anyway, and we're going to win because we're better than they are. The opportunity for the Lakers to make the big move wasn't there. The opportunity for the Lakers to make themselves substantially better was not there. And we've seen what happens when you try to force something through that isn't there. The British ultimately won at Bunker Hill. But the saying going around afterwards was that they can't suffer any more wins like that. Their losses more than doubled the losses from the American side. They lost 19 officers in that battle because the Americans weren't bashful at targeting officers and shooting at them, even if it wasn't necessarily what you do, right? The Americans said, we don't care about ceremony. We want to win. So the British suffered incredibly heavy losses because they just went for it in a situation that was not ideal. We've seen this Lakers team do that. We saw it a year and a half ago. They traded for Russell Westbrook. They tried to force something. When the ideal conditions weren't there, they said, gosh, we'd love to have a third star. And Russell Westbrook popped up and they said, you know what? He isn't a perfect fit, but he's a third star. We're going to force this and we're going to try to make this happen. We're going to make this work. And it led to disaster. The Lakers won the offseason that year. Everybody's talking about how good the Lakers were going to be. And Russ and LeBron and AD, they were going to figure out a way to make it work. And they got a year and a half of misery because of it. The Lakers haven't won the offseason in terms of buzz. That goes to the Suns for Bradley Beal. They might go to the Clippers if they get James Harden. Could go to the Heat or whoever gets Damian Lillard. It's not going to be the Lakers. But the situation is not there for them. They try to force something through, and it can go very, very poorly. The Lakers have to not fire until they see the whites of their eyes. Their opponent needs to be close. Needs to be the ideal situation for them to make the move that's going to put them over the top. And right now, 
the ideal situation did not present itself. Maybe it will midseason. The beauty of what the Lakers did is they've given themselves a lot of very tradable contracts to potentially work with should the need arise, either at the trade deadline, next summer, whenever. So when I look at how good of a job did the Lakers front office do, I think they did a really damn good job. Not disappointed because we need to understand the context of the moment, what was out there, what was available. In terms of what was available, I think they made the right choices. All right. I love it whenever I can work in a little bit of history and kind of meld together my, my previous career with, with what I do now. Um, that being said, let's, uh, let's do this. More Than Meets the Eye, sponsored by Oakley. More Than Meets the Eye, sponsored by Oakley. Head over to oakley.com. Get yourself a pair of sunglasses today. Our More Than Meets the Eye segment is where we dig a little bit deeper and I want to talk about some bigs that are on the market. Now, look, the 14th roster spot, what I believe is happening is the Lakers are just kind of waiting to see. A lot of people are, you know, say, why, why, aren't, why aren't the Lakers signing somebody? Go get Dwight Howard. Sign him right now. God, I've heard that like 50 times. Um, but the, why the Lakers are waiting is they're waiting to see if somebody slips through the cracks. The cracks. Maybe another team has to waive somebody because they've got too many on their roster. For example, Bull Bull, surprisingly, just got waived by the Orlando Magic. Now, I don't think he's necessarily a great fit for what the Lakers need. I've always been intrigued by his talent. But nonetheless, that's the type of situation that could pop up if they wait. And maybe another player pops free that we weren't expecting. There's no question that they need a big. They didn't get that big that can push Anthony Davis to the fore. And they're not going to find that on the market right now. It's, it's not there. Uh, and it's not going to be there. In terms of who might slip through the cracks, the best case scenario for the Lakers right now, talent-wise, I'm not talking about fit, but talent-wise, it's Christian Wood. If Christian Wood finds himself in a situation where he just says, you know what, I need to rehab my image, I need to prove that I can be this steady role player, and I need a place where I can go for one year and then cash in after that. Well, the Lakers are starting to get a reputation of being that team, aren't they? Look at what just happened with Dennis Schroeder. Played for the Lakers for one year, Got a big contract out of Toronto the year before. Look what happened with Malik Monk. Played for the Lakers for a year on a minimum. Got a big contract out of the Sacramento Kings. Maybe Christian Wood looks at the Lakers and says the same thing. Now, I still think it's a long shot, but at this point of free agency, the money has certainly started to dry up. I also say Christian Wood is not necessarily the best fit for the Lakers in terms of what they need. But based on talent, if he says, hey, I'll come for the veteran minimum, okay, I mean, you're not going to argue with that, right? He's an extremely talented player, could play with Anthony Davis. He's just not going to take the bruising centered minutes off of AD. Now, if Christian Wood and AD are on the floor, Anthony Davis is going to be the center. Christian Wood is going to be the power forward. Their offensive skill sets actually should fit fairly well. It's defensively that you've got plenty of questions there. But no, that's, that's not the main guy that I want to talk about here. The main player that I want to talk about when we talk about digging a little bit deeper, it's Bismack Biombo. Bismack Biombo, the former Phoenix Suns center, you know, it's it's amazing. He's not actually all that big. And I didn't realize, like, in terms of height, he's getting he gets listed at 6'8 and 6'9. I always thought he was like 6'10, 6'11. So he's a little bit shorter than I realized. But get this, he has a seven foot six inch wingspan. He's six eight or six nine, depending on where you're looking and has a 7'6 wingspan. And what that allows him to do, right? I talk about Christian Wood. 
He's probably the most talented big that's out there, but his skill set isn't necessarily a perfect fit for what the Lakers want. I think Bismack Biombos is. Not that you want him playing 30 minutes a night. Not that he's going to step out and shoot threes or anything like that. But me, I'm more concerned with defense and what players could you put onto a Jokic, an Embiid, even a Yusuf Nurkic, uh, any of these kind of guys. Jonas Valanciunas, the big, more physical, strength-based guys. They can at least bother them. I go into cleaning the glass, and I look at the numbers that Bismack Biombo has put up, and he ranks in the 100th percentile in block percentage. Block percentage is the, uh, the percentage of opposing shot attempts that a player blocked. 100th percentile. That means at his position, nobody blocks more per shot attempt than Bismack. Then he does. And that's not a fluke. His block percentage over the years, going all the way back to his rookie season in Charlotte back in the 2011-2012 season, it was at 95%. It regularly, year after year after year, is above 90 percentile. He had one year when he was in the 70th percentile. Every other year, 95, 86, 96, 95, 96, 84, 90. 100 this season. 91 the season before. You want to talk about rim protection? You want to talk about blocking shots? Again, he's not great. He's not a great player. But if what you're looking for is rim protection, Bismack Biombo can do that. You're looking at a guy, could he come in for 15 minutes a night for Anthony Davis and protect the rim? Yes. 100% yes. Now, he can get into some foul trouble for sure, but he definitely can protect the rim. And then I look at his rebounding. His rebound, he's in the 65th percentile in offensive rebounding and the 55th percentile in defensive rebounding. He's not a monster on the boards, but he's not bad. He's not bad either. And so in lieu of Christian Wood saying, hey, I'll play for the veteran minimum, and in which case, if that happens, just he's so talented, you probably, you just have to say yes. But when I look at who's out there, I know a lot of people are high on Mo Bamba, right, and what, and what he can do, and I understand it. But when I look at this Lakers team and I look at the fact that they got Jackson Hayes, who's very much an unknown, right? Still a question mark. Not somebody that you feel like you can count on night in and night out. Jackson Hayes being a question mark makes me want the other big, that 14th big, to be someone that you know can do this night in and night out. Hey, okay? somebody that you can count on. And I think Bismack Biombo is that. Now, again, we talk about Mo Bamba. He's not a bad shot blocker himself. 80th percentile this past year with Orlando. Didn't play enough games with the Lakers to fall on the on the uh, ranking here. But 92nd percentile the season before that, 92nd percentile the season before that, he's good as well. But the rebounding is not. 41st percentile in rebounding, below average. 48th percentile in uh, defensive rebounding, below average. So Mo Bamba still being a little bit of question mark. You're not sure how much you can have him out there. He can shoot the three, and that's something that's certainly intriguing. But if I need somebody that I know, I know this guy can get the job done for me. This guy can be out there on the floor. I think Bismack Biombo just gives you that certainty because we've seen him do it throughout a long career. Now, if he's off the board and the option is Mo Bamba, that's fine. That's that, Of course, that's fine. And you just hope that between Mo and Jackson Hayes, one of them hits, 
right? That's what you you need one of them to hit between those two. But if I have Biombo and Jackson Hayes, I know Bismack Biombo can get in there and take that role for me. And it allows me to let Jackson Hayes do his thing and realize that potential. But if he doesn't, I've still got Biombo to fall back on. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I think Biombo's numbers suggest why he should be the ideal target for the Lakers again, unless Christian Wood says, I want to try to rehab my image a little bit. I'll come play for that veteran minimum. All right, let's wrap things up by talking about the Lakers and the Spurs and the California Classic. So the Lakers lost pretty handily to the Miami Heat in their summer league debut. Uh, there's some a meme I saw going around over on Lakers Reddit that was uh, Max Christie, uh, and he showed that he had no help. Max Christie looked great. You know, I talked about this before uh, that game against the Heat, about how I wanted to see Max Christie playing under control. I wanted him to look like he almost doesn't belong out there, look like he gets to his spots easily, you know, defensively doing some good things there, but but just getting his shots in rhythm, getting to his spots, regardless of who's defending him. And I thought we we saw Max Christie that compared to some other players on the floor, looked like he had played an NBA season, which is what you should see, right? That he did play an NBA season. So that should be the expectation. But we saw everything we wanted to see out of Max Christie, I felt like in that game. Jalen Huchafino, we saw a lot of good. We also saw a lot of bad, right? The fear with JHS was his shooting. And lo and behold, the shooting was not very good. It took a long time for him to hit a jumper. I think he started over seven. So that's one of the things I'm looking for against the Spurs. It's can Max Christie continue to play at this level uh, and play well? And then can JHS start to knock down some shots? Maybe it was jitters. If he could come out and have a 50% shooting game on jumpers, I think that would go a long way to easing some of those fears, some of those concerns uh, that fans have had. Other than that, I thought he did some good things defensively. I thought his passing was good. I thought he was really looking to pass the ball a lot. And where he was most successful, ironically, was in getting to the rim. That was where he was at his best on the offensive end of the floor, aside from his passing, which isn't really what he was known for, his athleticism getting to the basket. But one of the question marks going into the game was, what would he look like with NBA spacing, with Cole Swider on the floor, with Max Christie on the floor, right? At Indiana, the, the paint was just packed, and he took advantage of it. So that was also good to see. From there, it's, you know, can Cole Swider defend at a high enough level? That question mark is still out there. We know he can hit the three. He did it uh, against Miami. I would expect we're going to see him do it forever, right? He's a great, great three-point shooter. The question is, can he do other stuff well enough uh, to stay out there on the floor? Uh, Colin Castleton, intriguing. I want to see more of him. I want to see him kind of settle in a little bit. Uh, we didn't see a lot in terms of the shot blocking. I think he blocked one shot but I'd like to see a little bit more controlling the paint, particularly around the rim from him. Um, did a nice job running the floor, had a really nice hit ahead pass. I believe it was from Max Christie that he finished at a kind of an awkward angle. So he actually went five for five on the night. So I just kind of want to see more of that. And I want to see Colin kind of settle in and get, and get comfortable. Other than that, Max Lewis did some really nice things. We'd like to see him get some more run, did a nice job attacking the rim off of uh, on some closeouts, things of that nature. The big picture, though, as much as we can go player by player, I think DeMoy Hodge was good. I'd like to see more of him. But what I really want to see is how does this team up the level, right? I thought defensively, 
the Miami team was just on another level in terms of their energy, in terms of what they did out there on the defensive end of the floor, their cohesiveness. Can the Lakers match that? And by the way, the Spurs looked really good. I believe it was OKC that they played. Um, actually, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, the, the Spurs look good in their first summer league outing as well. So I think they're going to be a, a tough test. And I want to see the Lakers as a team raise their level of defense and be able to knock down some shots. It feels like it's a completely different group. So it's weird to say, but it feels like some of the Lakers struggles from the past season carry over into summer league because this is, again, a Lakers team that wasn't shooting the three very well, aside from, say, Cole Swider, who went, I think, three for six from deep. So can the Lakers start to connect from behind the arc? Uh, particularly Jalen Huchifino, going to be keeping an eye on him there. And then defensively, can they up their game? Can they up their game in the defensive end of the floor? But I'm looking forward to this one. You know, look, summer league ball, it's not always the prettiest, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy seeing the young guys get out there and show their stuff and get a chance to kind of get their feet wet in the NBA. So I'm excited for this one. After that, the Lakers' next summer league game, it's on Friday. They're taking on the Warriors in Vegas. And get this, just a little warning here. If you're going to the game, the game right before at the Thomas and Max Center, it's not over in Cox Pavilion, the game right before the Lakers take on the Warriors, it's the San Antonio Spurs with Victor Wembanyama taking on the Charlotte Hornets. So if Lakers fans, you are going to Vegas for summer league and you want to see that Lakers game, you may want to get there extra early because seats are going to fill up fast. I believe the game is already sold out. So you're going to want to get there early, get your seats, watch some of the other games. If you want to catch the Lakers game, you probably want to watch Victor Wembanyama as well. But I guess your other option is if you don't care about seeing Wembanyama, you can wait for some of the building to empty out after the Spurs game. But Friday night, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to stick around and watch the Lakers play. So if you want good seats, I would recommend getting there early for that one on Friday because they should be anticipating a really, really big crowd to see Victor Wembanyama play. All right, everybody, that's it. Appreciate all of you for joining me here. And don't forget to head over to oakley.com. Grab yourself a fresh pair of sunglasses. And of course, subscribe right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Give us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.